This message comes from NPR sponsor Noom. Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded from NPR. This week, we're sharing another episode from The Unmarked Graveyard. It's a new series by Radio Diaries, which tells the stories of people who were buried in Hart Island, the largest potter's field in America. The series uncovers who these up-until-now-unknown people were when they were alive by finding people who knew them and letting them tell their stories. Last week, we heard about a young man who spent most of his time sitting on a bench in Manhattan. If you haven't listened to that episode, go and check it out. It's called The Unmarked Graveyard, Neil Harris Jr. This week, we have another episode from the series. It's about a woman's decades-long search for her biological father, a search that takes her to Heart Island. Here it is, The Unmarked Graveyard. From Radio Diaries, I'm Joe Richman, and this is The Unmarked Graveyard, a series untangling mysteries from America's largest public cemetery. Neil Harris was last seen in Inwood, New York, on December 12, 2014. Uncle Caesar was estranged from our family for 40 to 50 years. The playwright, novelist, and author of Happy Island, Miss Dawn Powell. You can't help but wonder what her life has been. So many questions, man. So many questions. Over a million people are buried on Hart Island. It's often called a potter's field. People end up there if their family can't afford a private burial or the city can't find anyone to claim the body. And when New York City gets hit hard by an epidemic, like the flu of 1918 or just recently COVID, Hart Island gets hit hard too. During the 1980s, the epidemic was AIDS. More than 100,000 people would ultimately die because of AIDS in New York City alone. Many were buried on Hart Island. Some of their families never found out what happened to them. Today, episode three, one woman's search for a man she never knew. Oh my God, that's the island. It's crazy. There's not a lot of land for that many people to be buried. At first I thought it was eerie. But it's kind of pretty because the fog just, like, erases the city. It's just so beautiful. It's nicer than I thought. My name is Annette Vega. I'm a registered nurse. I am 52 years old. I will be 53 this month. I grew up in the Bronx. I lived with two of my younger sisters and my mom and my dad. Dad was always working. He was an electrician for Local 3. And he was always the strong guy. And a lot of the neighborhood teenagers looked up to him. Not everybody had their dad in their life. You know, looking back at it, it it was a great childhood. So... When I was about seven or eight, I found out that my dad wasn't my biological father. 
that's the first time I came to know that there was someone else out there. This is a picture of my biological father, Angel Garcia. He looks like he's in his 30s, and he has a long mustache and a DA. Hair that's kind of brushed back. Who was this person? Why hasn't he been in my life? Could he be looking for me? I just felt a persistent urge to find out. Hello. Hey, Mom. Hi, Annette. So did you win at bingo yesterday? I won $75 yesterday and 370-something on Tuesday. Wow. I wish there was a bingo today. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you some questions, if you don't mind. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay. The questions are related to Angel Garcia, who's my biological father. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> All right, mother. So what do you remember about him? He was very sweet. He was good to me. He knew he was good looking and he was sure of himself and who knows. He had this cologne. Oh my God, it was the best cologne ever. He left that cologne in my drawer and I my mom had me at 16. I was a mistake. Not a mistake, but you know, I wasn't a planned pregnancy, you know. <laughs> and she was a teenager growing up in the Bronx, and there was a young man. Everyone called him Machu. You know, they had a little summer romance. He'd be working in the auto body shop. She'd go home happily with grease on her backside of her shorts. And I'm like, Mom! He talked about Puerto Rico, where his family came from. He talked about the future, uh, when we got married, and he was a charmer, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Were there things about me that remind you of him? I think you look like him a lot. You had green eyes. Green eyes? You had very green eyes like he did. Remember my Monte Carlo, my six-cylinder that I would be driving fast, and you'd be like, oh, you remind me of your father. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, because he used to love to drive. He used to steal cars. And I think he used to steal cars just for the fun of it. Wow. He was a bad boy. So I guess maybe I was into bad boys. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Do you remember the last time you guys saw each other? I seen him after I gave birth to you. We hooked up again, and um, he used to pick you up I, and, and talk to you, and we used to go on car rides with you and everything like that. When's the last time you spoke to him? What was that conversation like? All I remember, I was, I was insulting him. <laughs> you were insulting him? Like by what? I told him that he was not your father. That he was only a father because he made you, but not because he raised you or supported you. I knew that that would hit him hard. And then he disappeared one day and I went to his job and they told me, no, that there was another woman looking for him and all that. So I never went back and I never looked for him again. I remember my mom telling me he was kind of a tough guy and she thought that he was in a gang. The South Bronx, 
one of New York City's roughest neighborhoods. And since the mid-60s, home to an outlaw motorcycle gang who called themselves the Chingalings. I remember hearing about the Chingalings. They were notorious uh, motorcycle gang that people were fearful of. I thought he might be with them. So what does it mean to be a Chingaling? The religion we got is a chingling religion. <laughs> That's the only religion we have. Ride our bikes, party, hang out. This is like a family thing. So I literally walked up to the chingling's house in the Bronx. It's like painted in black and, you know, motorcycles all around. And another guy comes out looking rough. He comes over, he talks to me, and I tell him I'm trying to find my father. They call him Machu, he has green eyes. Oh, I haven't seen that dude in years. Another woman comes out and she's, you know, out on the stoop having a cigarette and she goes, I remember him. I remember one night we were partying really hard. I got so messed up and he helped carry me upstairs to the bedroom. That man could have done anything to me. And he put me in the bed and put a blanket on me and left. Nice guy. They wished me luck. They said, I hope you find them. I felt kind of silly looking for so long without a real reason as to why I was looking for him. I didn't need him to be my father, but I still really wanted to find him. There were thousands of questions. Where's his family? Do I have brothers? Do I have sisters? Do I have a grandmother? Do I have aunt? Where's his people? Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Carvana, on a mission to make car buying more convenient and affordable than ever before. In minutes, you can browse thousands of options under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today to get started. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com AI for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It was late January. I got a message 
from someone on Ancestry who gave me names. I used the white pages, I used Facebook, and I sent the messages. That evening, my phone rings. I hear this woman crying, emotional. She said, Annette, mi sobrina, mi sobrina. Tanto tiempo, tanto tiempo que tú estaba buscando. All this time, my niece, I've been looking for you. I was like, you have? You know about me? Hola. Hi, Titi. Bendición. Te quiero mucho. <laughs> so I'm here. I arrived at my Titi's house. My Titi Miriam, my father's sister. It's a really pretty home. My name is Miriam, Miriam Garcia. My brother is Angel. Angel was your brother. He was younger than you or older than you? Mi hermano menor. En la escuela, él no. Her younger brother. He only went to sixth grade, but there was something about him that he could just pick up things. Like he learned how to work on cars. He can take a car that was destroyed and make it look like new. Que yo recuerdo a mi hermano. Como un hombre bueno. Angel was a good man, but he had a Porque really, really hard life. There was issues in the home growing up because their father was an alcoholic. And my father went to the streets. And he started using drugs at the age of 13. He was arrested and in prison from selling drugs. But it wasn't like a traditional prison. It was like a camp. So she said in 1985 or 86— Police came to their house to tell them that he escaped. They don't know how he did it. And someone had to have helped them. <laughs> she said she received a phone call from him in the summer of 1989 that he was very sick with pneumonia and he wanted to come home. Con mi esposo. Después yo fui a Nueva York. Her and her husband went to New York. They walked through the streets looking for him. But she never heard from him again. She hasn't seen him in 30 years. She said, I don't think he's alive. Okay, so this is what I find out. I received an autopsy report, and I actually have it with me. And it says, Angel Garcia died August 3rd, 1989, at 11 p.m., 37 years old. Immediate cause of death, pneumonia, due to AIDS as a consequence of chronic intravenous narcotism. Ivy drug abuser. It says he was buried in a place called Heart Island. 
People are buried there. People with no ID on them. People who haven't been claimed. And then I spoke to Titi Miriam. We went through it together and she put it down and she said, this is him. You found your father. All right. Hi. Nice to meet you. I can't believe I'm standing here with my brother. Like a smile. It's like he's so cute. Look at him. Thank you. I'm like, it was so nice. So I found out that I had a brother named Angel. I've never met him. He also didn't know where our father was. She reached out to me and wrote me a letter telling me she was my sister. I was incarcerated. I was incarcerated, so at first I was like, what? What the hell is going on here? She went into detail, telling me who she is and how she went about finding me. So and all her research had paid off. I know, I should be a private investigator. Yes. <laughs> the Gar Gar yes. Now we're going to go see our father where he was buried. It's weird, like, nobody knew where he was at all these years. Block 201, section three. Right there. 201, yeah. grave 27. Yeah. So this is the plot where Angel was buried. Our dad. Our dad. Wow. I was always his biggest fan, like rooting for him. Yeah. I must have been like seven years old. And we went to the prison to visit him. And he took us from the visiting room to, to like, the dormitory, he introduced us to all the dudes that was locked up with him or his friends or whatever. And he gave me like a boat made out of like wood and, and that's the last time that I seen him. Well, now I know where he's buried. The people that loved my father, whether it's my brother, my aunt, my cousins, everyone talks about how he was such a good guy. I think they were afraid to tell me the bad stuff, whether it's being in a gang or being in prison, being an IV drug abuser. You know, Angel was not an angel, but it's who he is. I mean, it's not a complete story without all of it. I'm putting flowers here at his grave, just planting and marking, because he's here. He's not lost. I'm happy to see where he lays and to like uh -huh. tell him like, yo, Annette found you, she found us, and we're here. And now we know where you are. That was Annette Vega and her brother Angel Garcia. And a final note, since we spoke to Angel, he has been arrested and is awaiting trial on a felony charge in New York City. This story was produced by Nellie Gillis. Our team also includes Micah Hazel, Elisa Escarce, Linda Engelstein, and myself. Our editors are Ben Shapiro and Deborah George. Sound mixing by Mitra Kaboli. Music in this episode from Roy Brown and from Matthias Bossi and Stellwagen Symphonette. 
We couldn't make this series without the help of Melinda Hunt and the Heart Island Project. Visit heartisland.net to learn more. And also thanks to our broadcast partner, NPR's All Things Considered. To hear more stories from the unmarked graveyard, subscribe to Radio Diaries wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Joe Richman. Thanks for listening.
This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit SAATVA.com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR.